This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Hello, welcome to this week's Meanwhile in Memphis. My name is Anna Ellis. I am here with my co-host and co-worker, Christy Mullen. Good morning, Christy. Hello, everyone. If this is your first time joining us, we are here with you on WYXR FM Radio, our fantastic hosts. We have this uh, show air every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. So if you are driving yourself to work on a Tuesday, good morning. Hope you have a good day. Or you might be catching us as a podcast uh, wherever uh, you can find great podcasts. Um, And we drop that podcast every Tuesday at 9.01 a.m. So we're glad that you found your way here. Every week uh, we dig into, as our intro said, um, a topic that we're excited about in Memphis. We're showcasing leaders, um, organizations, people who are just moving our city forward and doing things that we deem to be innovative and effective and that we want to see replicated. So uh, today's guest is uh, an old friend of, of mine in New Memphis. She has really been doing incredible work in the city for over 10 years. Her name is Elizabeth Kaywine. She is representing the uh, organization Music Export Memphis, but she is also a past TEDx speaker. Um, One of the best TEDx speakers, we're gonna talk about that, but um, her TEDx talk from 2018 has the most views of any local TED talk we have put uh, together. So she's a star in her own (laughs) right, but she's a star in the TED universe as well. So Christy, tell us a little bit more about what Elizabeth her, her cred, if, if you yeah, will. Yeah, Elizabeth has creds she's out got, the wazoo. She's got some cred. Like, so she is a publicist, a strategist, and a music advocate and has, I believe, over a decade of experience in music publicity. And in 2016, she founded the not-for-profit initiative called Music Export Memphis, which Anna touched on a little bit and we're going to definitely dive into. Um, and, guys, she is just doing so much for advocacy and music in our city, and she is working to make sure that Memphis is a place where musicians can have economic mobility and are brought to the table and their voices are heard and we can also give them the resources they need. Um, Like Anna said, she had her TED Talk in 2018 and it's just got over a million views, I believe, on YouTube. So 1.5. Yep, that's true. She is killing the game. Don't 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 round her down. The 1.5. I said over a million. (laughs) Um, But she is just killing the game, guys, and she is doing so much for our city and I'm ready to dive into it to hear a bit more. I am as well. I'm honestly, as I'm looking at our notes right now, this is the first time in its uh, five-year history that I've put together that Music Export Memphis, M-E-M, is like a mem. Anyway. Mem. (laughs) Super clever, Elizabeth. Uh, Sorry that I'm so slow. All right, let's welcome uh, Elizabeth to the studio. All right, let's go. Guys, we are here with Elizabeth. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Thanks we're for being here. super happy to have you. Thanks for trucking it to come do this with us today. How have you been? All things considered, <laughs> um, pretty good. Yeah, healthy. My family's been healthy and just trying to, you know, find the silver linings in the middle yeah. of, a, of a big mess. But yeah. I, I think that's a great answer. That's a good perspective answer. Like, I'm thriving, but not really. It's yeah, fine. right. <laughs> so we gave the listeners a little bit of your intro before you got here. And you do so many incredible things throughout our city. And before we jump into those, I kind of want to hear a little bit more about you and where your passion for music actually started and began. Wow. Um, In the womb, (laughs) probably. Um, The dawn of time. (laughs) Right. Um, I've been a musician uh, most of my life, um, which actually I think that 
the funny I didn't thing know is, that. yeah, I think a lot of people don't yeah. know that. Um, I, I'm not. I am not. Um, I was like, sing something. Right. <laughs> I'm not a professional. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a hobbyist at best. But I, I actually I played clarinet all through school, and I did marching band all oh, through wow. college as well. And I actually have a master's degree in music too. So really, where I know, did you get your master's degree? Uh, I went to school uh, in London at a university called Brunel, and I have a so my master's is in contemporary music studies. Elizabeth, I feel like I've known you for years and I did not know these. I was like, Elizabeth is just like, I just imagined you as um, like, just like the hardcore, like midtown, like the girl that was <laughs> right. like in the front row of the high tone, like every Saturday when we were in our early twenties. And I'm like, uh, oh my gosh, you were like, you're like a professional clarinet player. <laughs> Clarinetist? Is that how it was? Clar- Clarinetist, yes. Clarinetist. And I'm not a professional. Yeah. Dear, dear Lord. You have a degree. S- save us all. Well, I, I sang and played clarinet for my degree, but technically my degree is in musicology because I did a uh. written um, dissertation, uh, which they call it. It's not a, it, it's a master's, but in the UK they call it a dissertation at that stage. Anyway, more, <laughs> more info than you Semantics. needed. Semantics. But yeah. So, but, but to answer your, your question about, you know, where my passion came yeah. from, I mean, my dad was also uh, a musician. He played in bands when he was growing up um, here in Memphis. I actually have a, a clipping from the Memphis Press Center of an article that he was quoted in about like a teen night that he was putting on with his band, The Stags. I have that framed in my office. Um, so, you know, there was a, a great love for music in my house the whole time I was growing up in addition to the music I played. But I think that in terms of what drives me now, you know, I am... Um, back in the day, I really wanted to be a music journalist. I wanted to write for Rolling Stone. And that was kind of where I set the course of my life in terms of I went to, uh, I got my undergraduate degree from Murray State University, me and John Morant. I love love telling people that now because they actually know Murray State, um, go racers. So I got my undergrad in journalism. And then of course, my master's degree in music and had always planned to move to New York and and write for a magazine. I moved to New York um, in 2008. So if you were alive yeah. then, you remember that that was a super great time to be trying that to find a job. also the year that I finished graduate school mm. with an MFA in fiction writing. And oh, I was my like, gosh. Oh. I was, I'm always in search of someone who had a, has a more useless degree. So congratulations. Right? Well, yeah. So and, and that, that timing was just so terrible. And so I ended up moving back to Memphis, and I got a job uh, with an organization that's not around anymore um, but called the Memphis Music Foundation. Okay. And it was really through that work that I started working directly with artists, started learning a a lot about, um, you know, music as a tool for economic development, but also in a more, th- that's sort of the macro, but in a more micro way, just the needs of artists and how our community can thrive when their needs are met and when they are, you know, when they want to live and contribute to our city. And so I think that, you know, I've been a music lover my whole life, but that job definitely changed me and sort of changed the path uh, for me going forward. Yeah, you really went from supporter to more of an advocate role almost. Definitely, yeah. So that leads us right into you are the founder and executive director of Music Export Memphis. Yes. And so for those listening who are like, what the heck is that? I've never heard of it. Tell us, what is it? What is Music Export? So Music Export Memphis is, uh, we're, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and we are an export office for Memphis music. So... Uh, I modeled uh, the concept off of export offices for music and culture that exist around the world. So if you look to Canada, the UK, France, lots of Germany, lots of countries around the world have these export offices whose sole job is to help artists and sort of, you know, culture writ large from that country be exported out to other territories. Um, Obviously, ultimately for, you know, the kind of 
cultural benefit, but certainly for the economic benefit of, of the country and the, and the artists themselves as well. And so I kind of I became exposed to that concept and I just thought, well, that's something that can be scaled uh, yeah. down. You know, we can do that here in Memphis. And so that's what we do. So our, our mission statement is that we create opportunities for Memphis musicians to showcase their work outside the city, driving, you know, driving their careers, of course, but also driving tourism, talent attraction and economic development for the city of Memphis. So you well, talked a little bit about the why of music for you personally. I'm curious about the why of Memphis for you, other than just being, you know, from here and being exposed, you know, having a parent who is a Memphis musician. What was that magnet that brought you back here and that keeps you here? And what, and again, I'm going to ask you a big question here, but when we talk about the Memphis sound or Memphis music as being something distinct, can you give voice to that? Is there something about it that, other than just oh, yeah. the genres that have sort of historically popped up here? But is there something in the water here, so to speak, that, that makes Memphis music Memphis music? Yeah. Gosh, you've asked me a lot of questions. I was gonna say, so <laughs> you're going to have to for 10 minutes. You're going to have to keep me on track here in terms of why Memphis for me. So obviously I was born and raised here. I did move away as we've, as we've been over. Um, and I never intended to come back. Uh, when I was growing up, I did not intend to live here as an adult. I think it's important to remember. And, you know, if you're listening to this and, and you're in your thirties, like I am, and you're from here, you know exactly what I mean. But this was a very different city in the early nineties, um, in the mid nineties. And my parents, really wanted me and both my brothers to go out into the world somewhere else and maybe find more opportunity. And I really come back around to that word a lot, um, somewhat accidentally. It's a word that drives us with Music Export Memphis. But I, I, when I tell, whenever I tell this story, I really think it's important that we, we look back with clear eyes that the, the city that my parents saw, and I'm sure a lot of my peers' parents saw at that time, didn't have a ton of opportunity. And, you know, I think it's also important for my personal story to say, my, my dad worked for housing and community development at that time, doing um, work on doing necessary repairs on folks' homes who couldn't afford those repairs. Great, important work, but it also exposes you to some of the, you know, poorest and, and most bleak sides of the city, right? It's hard to stay hopeful and uh, inspired about what's happening in your city when that's what you're seeing every day. And similarly, my mom was teaching at a very poor school at the time. Um, again, just you're faced with so much every day it's hard to see your city as one that has opportunity and I think that was really why they wanted us to get out and go somewhere else and so we did and the only reason I came back to Memphis when I did was because I knew I wanted to leave New York and I felt like I wanted to be in the south and so it was like all right well I you know I'm applying for these jobs with my New York City address this isn't working out I'm gonna just go live with my parents for a little while I was looking at jobs in Nashville. I was looking at jobs in Atlanta. You know, I figured I'd be in a in a bigger city. But what happened when I came back is that the tide was starting to shift. Mm. You know, it was um, there was a group of young people that was in the city that really loved Memphis and like unapologetically so and thought it was cool to live here. And that was not something I experienced growing up. And I think that, you know, there's an element of of kind of like manifesting that's involved in that, right? If you decide that you love where you live and you think it's cool, all of a sudden all these things start popping up that are really cool and, and that, you know, legitimately do make you love where you live. And I think I got plugged in at the exact right time and ended up, you know, getting this job opportunity with the Memphis Music Foundation that, again, I think, you know, set the course for me but really exposed me to 
the next part of your question, what is so special about, <laughs> about Memphis music? See, I'm manage, I'm landing the plane. Yeah, this I was going to say, this is amazing. I love it. Um, this is much more eloquent than the question I asked, so <laughs> continue. So, you know, I think I, I really kind of was re-falling in love with Memphis between like 2009 and 2011, particularly, um, and just saw so much possibility and so much potential. And at the same time, then at the Music Foundation was meeting these artists who were so talented and again, discovering this many things that I think are really special about Memphis, but there's a few I'm going to, I'm going to specifically mention. One is that Memphis is a place where contemporary and legacy truly intertwine where, I mean, especially when I think back to my earliest days there, sort of 2010, 2011, some of the folks that were still with us who've since passed away, but certainly this is still true now. You can go into a session at one of our historic studios that's still in operation and you will have, you know, 20-year-old musicians playing alongside folks who have been playing, you know, on national, international tours, who have cut Grammy uh, award-winning albums, who are wildly influential across the music space, not just in Memphis, and they're just playing together on a session. And that happens all the time here, right? The, the sort of elder statesmen are still here and they're still engaged in the scene in a way that I think is not true in other places and a lot of other places. So I think that was something that I really discovered, um, you know, pretty early on that I've always thought was really special. But I think the other thing for me is when you look across genre contributions, obviously, and I love to make arguments for so many genres that were born here in Memphis. I mean, there's the ones that we, that we claim really outright, obviously soul. Um, we claim the blues, we claim rock and roll. But, you know, I also feel like roots in Americana music were born here in Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know, we are a real crossroads. And, and there are so many of our legends who it, it, we were a talent hub. Right. See, now I'm getting now I'm really going off. Yeah. So it's going to get less. I love, I love it. it. Let's go. <laughs> so we were a real talent hub. Right. Which is one of the reasons why you have so many of these genres that were born here. You know, folks like Jerry Lee Lewis, Otis Redding. Elvis even, like, they they were not born in Memphis, but they got here as fast as they could, as the saying goes, right? We were we were a magnet attracting that talent to come here, and similarly, you know, the real sort of crossroads of American music, and, and Americana was born here, is my argument in, in that vein. Um, but I think what all those things have in common is this real DIY spirit and mentality. And I, I've been asked several times in different conversations what is the like what is the Memphis sound mm-hmm. to just define it right and I think it's pretty impossible to do that but as such my answer is always that I think the Memphis sound is more of an ethos it's a mentality and it's it's DIY right it's that if you don't want to put my record out on your major label I'm going to do it myself it's if you you know if if my particular type of music isn't represented I'm going to make it myself I'm going to make it up as I go like I think that that sort of spirit of we're just going to do it like we're going to be independent and we're going to make it happen regardless of whether some big industry infrastructure exists or some you know some official label or or you know body has ordained that what we're doing is um is good or or what's next in music like we we're going to do it ourselves we're going to make it up as we go and we're going to define it and i just i love that i love that attitude that we have um and I do sort of think that's in the water here. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think that I, I we ask that question a lot, not about music, but just sort of, you know, the the why of Memphis and what it is, it, what is it that makes Memphis distinct, whether they're in the arts or they're an entrepreneur. And I think, you know, 
if you distill all of it down, like that's kind of at the heart of it. That yeah, I sort of like bristle against the the, the simplicity of grit and grind, but I think it is in there somewhere. Um, oh my gosh, yeah, it's just stuff hasn't been handed to us, and so mm. we've had to work for it. And and that breeds creativity. There's something 100%, about hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even in my own story, there's so much DIY. Like I, you know, I didn't ask anyone's permission to start Music Export Memphis. I just made it up and started doing <laughs> it. Like, and I think that's really. That's something that I've always, that I've seen across our community and I've always respected. Like people see a gap, they see something that needs to be fixed and they don't ask anyone's permission. But the beauty of Memphis is that you don't have to, Mm -hmm. you can just do it. And that is not true in other places. I love that. Like we said, oh, I said, I heard it from someone and I cannot remember who, but now I say it all the time. It was me. It was, it was you. Definitely me. <laughs> no. Is it brilliant? It, yes, okay. it is. Yeah, well, it's very simplistically brilliant though. It was, you know, Memphis does has its issues. It has its problem. It has its gaps to your point. Right. But for all of those that exist, there are at least one to maybe 20 organizations working to fill those gaps and solve yep. those problems. And so that's something that always sticks with me when you say stuff like that. So you spoke a lot about what Music Export Memphis is, and you speak so eloquently about music in general and why Memphis. I'm kind of interested how you guys actually do the work. Yeah, totally. So uh, we have three core programs, um, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about each one of those. But at the end of the day, everything that we do can be boiled down to we are subsidizing working musicians to do what they do because we believe when they do what they do, They are on the road representing Memphis. They are furthering our brand and enhancing our brand as a contemporary music city. Um, And we believe that they require subsidy in order to be able to do that work well and do it profitably. So to be able to actually make a living. So everything that we do can really be boiled down to that. But we have three programs. Very simple. The first one we call Experiences. We basically go other places and throw really rad Memphis parties. Um, We've got one coming up literally days away uh, in Nashville, uh, Americana Fest. We are, this will be our fifth annual Americana Fest party. It's actually the first experience we ever did. So to give you a sense of it, right, we're producing a showcase. We're bringing five Memphis bands. We've got Southern Avenue and John Paul Keith and uh, Jeremy Samphill, Savannah Brister and Mama Honey this year. Um, We bring all kinds of other stuff too. We're always trying to create this holistic experience. So we're gonna have Central Barbecue, we've got Mempops, we've got Old Dominic, we've got Wiseacre, Memphis Magnetic Recording Studio is actually gonna come and live record. So we bring as many elements of our community as we possibly can and ways for people to experience Memphis to those events. So that's one piece. The second program uh, is one that I think lots of folks are familiar with is called Ambassadors. It's tour grants. Simple Mm. as that, right? If you're an artist, you live in Memphis and you meet some basic requirements, truly the biggest one is you have to have five or more tour dates booked Mm. in order to qualify for one of our grants. You can get money from us. It's unrestricted. You can spend it on whatever you want. I mean, artists spend it on everything from obviously gas to maybe a van rental to hotels. I mean, you name it. It's all over the place. Also within that ambassador program, we now have a merch fund very similar premise but it's for physical merchandise if you're buying uh, if you're getting t-shirts printed if you're doing cds or vinyl koozies any of those things you're going to sell at your merch table you can get a grant from us to help to support uh the production of those of those uh merch items you have to spend that money with a memphis-based business so it's our way of kind of creating some cyclical investment here in the economy but obviously impacts the bottom line for an artist because it makes each one of those items more profitable Also within Ambassadors, we do scholarships to industry conferences. So I love that one because it means you don't necessarily have to be a performing artist to benefit from our work. If you're in the music industry and you want to go 
to an industry event and learn to a conference, you can get a scholarship from us to do that. And then finally, our last program we call the Export Bank, just a catch-all really. It kind of is a way for us to provide support when the the need doesn't fit neatly into one of those other two programs, right? Yeah. The um, A great example, in 2020, before everything came crashing down, um, we had an opportunity through a partner for a Memphis artist to perform at Sundance Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And they were like, if you can get them here, you know, we can house them and we can feed them. And so the Export Bank was able to pay for airfare and ground transportation and everything for these artists so that this Memphis band could go play Sundance. So that's kind of, I, I always say it lets us say yes to stuff, right? Yeah. And help more Memphis artists get on the road. But those are our three core programs. And again, I think the easiest way to kind of tie it all up with a bow is that it pretty much always involves putting money in an artist's yeah. <laughs> pocket. It always involves creating an opportunity. And at the end of the day, we're subsidizing working musicians here in the city. So help connect the dots for somebody listening going, okay, let's say you were making a pitch to them, like make a donation, give, give to M- Music Export Memphis. Um, and they're hearing, okay, we're putting money in musicians' pockets, but they're leaving. They're getting out of here and they're sharing music elsewhere. Try and connect the dots for us. How, again, we're going to talk more about economic uh, kind of impact and, and what that means, but just from a foundational level, how does this benefit Memphis? Yeah. So number one, you can only qualify for any of our programs if you are a resident of the greater Memphis area. So we really believe that the work that we do can, is, and and could grow even more to be uh, in the future a reason that artists choose to stay here mm-hmm. in Memphis. Because if the second you move, you are no longer eligible for that support, right? You have to live here in Memphis. The other thing is, you know, we know that uh, when these artists are on the road, you know, whether it's at that at that event that we're producing ourselves top to bottom, obviously, it's it's very easy to sort of show someone people are coming to that event and they are having a Memphis experience from start to finish. And they are really hopefully being influenced to come and visit our city because of what they've experienced there. If they work in the music industry, I also hope they're being influenced to consider doing business in our city or to consider moving to our city because of what they've been exposed to. But I think even on the simplest level, every time an artist from Memphis is out on the road, wherever they may be across the country, around the world, touring, they get on that microphone every night and they say they're from Memphis, Tennessee. They were doing that well before we started giving them money because, it, you know, A, they're proud. But B, it behooves them to do so because Memphis is cool. People love our city. And so the association um, is is good all around, right? They were already doing it. And every time they do it, it is a boost. It's a bump for our city. They're small. And over, you know, it takes time for all of that to add up. But some of the stories that we have gotten back from our ambassadors, uh, they do like an end of tour report for us. The stories they tell us about conversations they have at their merch table with people who are so excited to talk to them because they're from Memphis, who are like, I'm planning a trip. I can't wait to go. I've never been able to, you know, to get there. But now I'm like, I want to come see your band when I'm there. It does make a difference. It's drips of water. um, And I think it's harder sometimes for folks to see that macro picture. But we know that the more we can do the work, the more artists that are on the road repping our city, it it makes a difference and it drives traffic here. Absolutely. I mean, we were having this conversation a couple of weeks ago internally about, um, you know, not just supporting and empowering and developing our local art scene, but really trying to own and celebrate the current influence that our Memphis culture has oh my gosh, on the yeah. national or global mm-hmm. stage and to see Huge. it 
you know, to see some of our artists, again, whether they're still living here or not, you know, really penetrate and, and help people and redefine in context to our history, what Memphis culture is, I think is really exciting. And it seems like you guys are definitely on the forefront of that. Um, well, let's, so Elizabeth gave a TED talk in mm -hmm. 2018. I believe, I haven't checked the numbers very recently, <laughs> but I believe it is far and away our most viewed TED yeah, talk. Yeah, I think over a million the Oh, it's last like one point, checked. it's like yeah. 1.5 million. Yeah, right? Like, so. Um, Not to be too precise. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth's like, I checked it this it's morning. A, it's impressive. I would. It's incredibly impressive. Um, it makes us proud. Again, part of why we put on TED Talks is one, very much like y'all, we want to engage a local audience. Yeah. We want to support local talent and help them share their ideas. But what's so exciting to us is that we get to export those ideas via the sort of global TED organization. So all of those TED Talks get thrown up on YouTube and they sort of find find their audience. So we've been, th you know, you're, you're our little star from 2018 <laughs> that your TED Talk um, really resonated. And I think both the, the, the global TED organization identified that one mm -hmm. from that year as one that they wanted to to bounce around. So they showcased it and I'm sure that that helped. Um, but it's an excellent talk. It's one of our best. Um, so I, I don't want to, we're going to talk more again, as I said, about equity and music identity and the economic sort of development aspects of all of this because I think your talk really sets a really good foundation. So let's take a break. We're going to listen to Elizabeth's 2018 TEDx Memphis talk, We Built This City on Smart Policies, Equitable Access, and Bold Music Identity. Compton. Seattle. Detroit. Atlanta. Memphis, Tennessee. Each of these songs represents a scene, a movement, in some cases a sonic revolution that completely altered the course of popular music. They're all also calling cards almost for those cities, songs totally linked with their city's identity and might be why you probably consider them to be music cities. Now the magical mythical thing, the thing we kind of all love about stories like these is that those cities weren't doing anything in particular to make those moments happen. There's no formula for capturing lightning in a bottle. A formula didn't give us grunge music or introduce Tupac to Dr. Dre. And there's definitely no blueprint for how to open your record business in a South Memphis neighborhood that turns out is home to Booker T. Jones, William Bell, and Albert King. So this is just something that happens then, right? When the stars perfectly align, great music just happens. And in the meantime, New York and Nashville can churn out the hits that come through our radios, define our generations, and soundtrack our weddings and our funerals and everything in between. Well, I don't know about you, but the very idea of that is just deadly boring to me. There are musicians all around you making powerful, important music. And Thanks to the internet and its limitless possibilities for creators to create music and fans to discover that music, those zeitgeist songs don't have to be handed down to us from some conference room full of songwriters in a corporate high-rise. But also, and more importantly, we can't decide that 
it's just something that happens because music is about so much more than hits, those big iconic moments that change everything. It's more than just entertainment. For so many of us, music is truly a way to navigate life. A means of self-expression, sure, but it also helps us find our self-worth and figure out who we are. It connects us with other people, as almost nothing else can, across language barriers, across social and cultural and economic divides. Music makes us smarter and healthier and happier. Music is necessary. What if you lived in a city that believed that, that said, we're not waiting for that hit song to define us. We're a music city, because music is necessary. By seeing music as necessary, a city can build two things. First, an ecosystem to support the development of professional musicians and music business. And second, a receptive and engaged audience to sustain them. And those are the two critical elements of a music city. A city whose leaders recognize the importance of music for our development as individuals, our connection as a community, and our viability as a vibrant place to live. See, smart cities, music cities know that thriving nightlife, a creative class, culture, is what attracts young, talented people to cities. It's what brings that lightning. And no, we can't predict the next egg that will hatch. But we can create a city that acts like an incubator. To do that, first, we got to know what we've got. That means identifying and quantifying our assets. We need to know them backward and forward, from who and what and where they are to what their impact is on the economy. Let's count our recording studios and our record labels, our historic landmarks and our hardcore punk clubs. We should count monthly free jazz nights and weekly folk jams, music schools, artist development, instrument shops, every lathe and every luthier, music museums open year-round, and music festivals open just one weekend a year. Now, ideally through this process, we'll create an actual asset map, dropping a pin for each one, allowing us to see exactly what we've got and where organic momentum is already happening. Because it's not enough to paint in broad strokes here. When it comes to specific support for music locally and a broad understanding of a music brand nationally, you've got to have the receipts. Next, we'll need to identify our challenges. Now, it's important to note that for the most part, this won't be just the opposite of step one. We won't gain a whole lot by simply thinking about what's missing from our map. Instead, we need to approach this more holistically. There are lots of music venues on our map, awesome but are they struggling? Do we have a venue ladder, which just means can an artist starting out at a coffee house open mic see a clear path for how they'll grow from that 25 seat room to a 100 seat room and so on? Or are we expecting them to go from a coffee house to a coliseum? Maybe our challenges lie in city infrastructure, public transportation, affordable housing. Maybe, like in London, where the number of grassroots music venues went from 400 in 2010 to 100 in 2015, we need to think about protections against gentrification. Now, the mayor of London in December of last year actually added something called the agent of change principle to the city's comprehensive plan. Now, the name says it all. 
if a real estate developer wants to build condos next to an existing music venue, the developer is the agent of change. They have to take the necessary steps for noise mitigation. Next, and this is a very big one, we need leadership and we need a strategy. Now we know there's a lot of magic in this mix, a lot of right people, right place, right time, and that will never stop being an important element of the way music is made, the way some of the best, most enduring music is made. But there cannot be a leadership vacuum. In 2018, thriving music cities don't often happen and don't have to happen accidentally. We need elected officials who recognize the power of music and elevate the voices of creatives, and they're ready to put a strategy in place. In music cities from Berlin to Paris to Bogota, music advisory councils ensure that musicians have a seat at the table. They're volunteer councils, and they work directly with a designated advocate inside of City Hall or even the Chamber of Commerce. Now, the strongest strategies will build music community supports like this one inward, while also exporting music outward. They go hand in hand. When we look inward, we create that place that musicians want to live. And when we look outward, we build opportunities for them to advance their career, while also driving attention back to our city and leveraging music as a talent attraction tool. And here's something else that will help with that. We've got to figure out who we are. Now, when I say Austin, you probably think live music capital. And why? Because in 1991, leadership in Austin saw something percolating with an existing asset and they chose to own it. By recognizing that momentum, naming it and claiming it, they inevitably caused more live music venues to open, existing spaces to add live music to their repertoire, and they created a swell of civic buy-in around the idea, which meant that it wasn't just a slogan in some tourism pamphlet. It was something that locals really started to believe and take pride in. Now, generally speaking, what Austin created is just an assets-based narrative. And when we think back to step one, we know that every city will not tick every box. Many cities won't have recording studios like Memphis or a songwriter and publishing scene like Nashville. And that's not a deal breaker. We simply have to find the momentum happening in our city. What are our unique assets in comparison to no other place? So, if all of that sounds like something you'd like to happen where you live, here are three things you can do to move the needle. First, you can use your feet, your ears, and your dollars. Show up, be that receptive and engaged audience that is so necessary for a music city to thrive. Pay a cover charge, buy a record, discover new music, and please take your friends. Two, you can use your voice. Buy into the assets-based narrative. Talk about and celebrate what your city has. And three, you can use your vote. Seek out leadership that doesn't just pay lip service to your city's music, but recognizes its power and is prepared to put a strategy in place to elevate it, grow it, and build collaboration. Now, there really is no telling what city could be defined by a certain scene or a certain song in the next decade. But as much as we absolutely cannot predict that, what we absolutely can predict is what happens when we treat music as necessary and we work to build a music city. And that is a place where I want to live. 
All right, guys, we are back. If you are just tuning in with us this morning, you are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis here on WYXR, and we are here with Elizabeth Kwan, and you just heard her 2018 TEDx Memphis talk. So, are you ready? Yes. Ready for these questions? I'm ready. Hit me. Okay. <laughs> so, you opened up your talk playing like little snippets of different songs that kind of what you said act as calling cards for these cities right people can easily identify cities by these small snippets that you did i really want to know why it was so important to you to start your talk off that way oh yeah i mean you know it's it's everything it's funny i don't really remember when in the development of the talk that i came up with that idea but it just when people hear music right they have a response they have an emotional and a and a physical and a mental response to it and I think so I think part of it was just grabbing people and getting them to sort of be there with me Mm -hmm. in that moment but I do think you know and and as you heard like it becomes a sort of call and response like people start just yelling out the cities right and I wanted to show them that they know, like they know instantly from some of these songs. And let me tell you, I had to cut that list way down. I had a <laughs> lot more songs. In fact, I was driving around the other day and um, Right Place, Wrong Time by Dr. John came on while I was in the car. <laughs> and I was, I had, that was almost in there. It got, it's for, for New Orleans. It got, it was a, you know, slim yeah. cut that got made. Sorry to Dr. John, rest his soul, but <laughs> I danced in the car to it anyway. But yeah, I think. It creates this immediacy, and it also, I think it proves my point before I've even started the talk, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, then to end on Green Onions and, like, to really get people feeling this sense of pride um, about Memphis. Because I think for most of us, it really only takes a few notes of, like, certain songs, certain Mm -hmm. Memphis songs for people to just feel this intense pride. And that's where I wanted them to be. That's the mental state I wanted them to be in, you know, when I started the talk. I love that so much that you chose to do that because it's kind of not just as like an avid game player myself who likes to play like catchphrase and stuff. I was just yelling them out watching uh-huh. the TED Talk. I was like, Memphis, no. <laughs> um, but like you kind of like touched on it in your talk, but you know, you said it just then too. Like music is this way to kind of navigate through Absolutely. life. Like we hear songs at certain places in time and we are transported back. And oh, yeah. I know like... I've read studies where medically sounds and music are helping heal. I was curious, like you have such an extensive background. Do you have any insight on like the science behind why music is so powerful to us as human beings in our experience? Oh my gosh. See, now you're making me wish that I, I was like, can had... you, can you pull out your dissertation? <laughs> right. But you're making me wish that I'd read the book that's been on my nightstand for like three years about music in the brain so that mm. I could like specifically yeah. answer that question. But you know, I think that um, music is art that goes with you everywhere. Mm-hmm. It is ubiquitous, right? Because we hear it. So that means that we can experience it while we are doing myriad other things, right? You're not going to experience a painting while you're walking through the airport. You're not going to experience a, a poem or a piece of literature while you are on a run. Or, you know, it, it, music is truly everywhere. It's in our ears everywhere we go. There's good and bad things about that. But I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, it just becomes so deeply associated with all of the then, you know, events and memories that are happening in alignment with that. Right. Like what what events are happening as you're walking through that airport with those music in your ears? Um, There's there's definitely certain music that I listen to. It makes me feel like I'm on an airplane. Like Mm -hmm. it's instant (laughs) because that's where I've listened to it. Like it just 
it transports you. Um, and so I think it's just, it's the way that we experience it alongside our lives that causes that really, really deep connection. But I mean, to your point, like when you look at uh, one of my favorites is all the studies that have been done with like Alzheimer's patients and, and memory loss. And when you, you know, you have somebody who may even be, um, you know, so far gone in their illness to the point of like being nonverbal and you play their favorite song and suddenly they're singing, yeah. you know, and they know all the words. Um, and I think that, again, if I had only read that book, but <laughs> if I had to guess and I'm not a scientist, it just exists in this layer of your brain that is unconscious and deep um and and it's powerful but it's it's also i think then about it connects then to how we connect with other people to you know how we build community how we process events in our lives and i think all of those things start to really illustrate why it's so critical that we support it and nurture it where we live. No, you did great. I'm like, I'm so happy you tackled that question because I was like, she's going to think I want some kind of scientific like <laughs> hypothesis explanation. Like, this is why I can <laughs> sing an entire Ace of Bass album no. today. <laughs> but like to your point, you said music is everywhere and you touched on this a little in your talk about accessibility to music and when you gave this talk in 2018, we're in 2021 and things have changed so much. Some of my favorite artists right now, I have discovered through one minute clips on TikTok. Yeah. And now they're releasing albums. So like the accessibility and the way that the industry is changing is rapid. Like how is that affecting the artists you know and the work you guys are doing? That's interesting. You know, it definitely has changed a lot in the past couple of years. I mean, to your point, like TikTok, uh, you know, go, even going back to, I think, really the first great big example of that, Lil Nas X yes. and Old Town Road and everything. Um, th that's been a few years now, mm -hmm. which is kind of wild. But I think that the <clears throat> the things that are kind of central to those, you know, changes have been in play for a decade or so, right? Which mm -hmm. is really just this shift towards away from ownership and towards access and streaming. Yeah. Um, and this is something that we were talking to artists about truly when I was working at the Music Foundation a, ten, a decade ago. Wow. Um, it, because it was happening then with, you know, uh, Spotify was a brand new thing and all these streaming platforms. And, and so I think for really, it, it makes our work in a lot of ways more essential because touring becomes, and, and just gigging live, so yeah. not necessarily being on the road, but playing live becomes a critical revenue stream for artists when you consider that you are going to spend a whole lot of money probably you know recording an album and you know everything from then are you going to press it on vinyl are you going to you know are you hiring some a graphic designer to do your artwork like get your photos all those things cost money that's going into that project that ultimately as sad as it makes me to say is a marketing tool mm -hmm. your actual music that's out there is just a way to market the experience of you, which is then what you have to figure out how to sell. And that has been true for some time. Now, TikTok is, a, you know, obviously a fascinating kind of progression in all of this and in a way for people to kind of discover and be discovered. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, again, I think those changes have been in place for a while. And it's it, there, a lot of things are broken about our current music economy. Creators need to be paid more from streaming services like Spotify. All of these things, all of these things are true but can exist alongside the fact that the the cat is out of the bag, like Pandora's box is open and there's no way to go back. We're not going to go back to a place where people are happy to pay $16.99 for a CD. People are excited now to pay for a vinyl record, yes. but I promise you that the vast majority of those people are also listening to music on Spotify, mm -hmm. right? Like these, two, we have to sort of figure out how these things can exist together. But just to go back to, I mean, I think the thesis statement for us is, our work becomes more critical because we have to 
there's a huge amount of financial risk and risk tolerance that is required to be able to tour. Um, but it is a necessary step if you want to build a sustainable career, um, particularly in the absence of being able to make a ton of money from digital access to your music. And so it just means, you know, for us, what we're doing is essential. We have to be able to support these artists so that they can build a middle class living, right? Which is what we all want. Yeah. Well, some of us want more, but. You know. <laughs> so you reference in the talk um, the crucial need for an ecosystem that supports not just musicians, but those in the, the in the music business. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious where Memphis is at this moment. And, and I know, obviously, the the COVID of it all um, has um, surely set us back. But from an asset perspective, from a support and ecosystem perspective, where are we doing well? What is exciting or something that we're proud of uh, outside of Music Export Memphis, which I'm sure is uh, top of the list? And then where do you see the most acute need for growth? I think this is an area where I might be a little different from a lot of other folks, a lot of my peers, who even here in Memphis. Um, you know, one of our, to answer the asset question first, our talent has always been our biggest asset, um, and there are very close seconds, and I'll list some of those. But our talent is incredible, and some of the you know actually doing my show here on WYXR has been amazing because when I started hosting the show in October of last year, so I mean we're coming up on one year. Um, I obviously believed that I had a very good knowledge of what was going on in 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 myriad scenes, many scenes within our city. And the number of artists that I have discovered in the past year because of hosting the show and having this great um, outlet or outlet's not the word. It's almost a great call to action for people mm -hmm. to right to bring to send me their music. It's been amazing. Like I have discovered. I, honestly, I would love I would put the number at 100, 100 or more artists wow. that I didn't even know about. Right. Which is so exciting because it just means that even for somebody who thinks they know a lot about what's going on. Oh, God, there's so much more, right? Like, the layers are so deep. And it's also incredible. And the genres are all over the map. So I think our talent and the innovation within that talent, the spirit within that talent, creativity, number one. Um, and I think, you know, right underneath that, we obviously have a rich studio uh, ecosystem. Um, some incredible historic studios that are still recording today. But also newer studios that have opened up um, and and I you know wish every day that we had really great data so I could tell you we have X number of studios mm -hmm. in the city we don't have that um, maybe one day I'll, I'll be able to come back and say this is what's <laughs> changed we have this awesome data now but I know that we're a studio city and then beyond that I actually just uh, recently wrote a piece for the Daily Memphian about um, some of our, our sort of industry infrastructure around vinyl, right? Like we have Memphis Record Pressing, which is the second largest vinyl, man hmm. vinyl manufacturing plant in the world. Really? We have, yes. And we yeah. have, we have uh, Jeff Powell, uh, who has a company called Takeout Vinyl, who cuts master vinyl records, right? Like, so when you make a record, at some point, there has to be a master that's cut that you then make all the, the copies of that vinyl record from. That is what Jeff does. And what that means is that if you are an artist here in Memphis, you can make your record at a Memphis studio, you can have your master cut by Jeff, and you can press it at Memphis Record Pressing, and you can take it start to finish. And I promise you, that is not true in other places. It can't be, right? There are only a handful of vinyl manufacturers in the world, period. So um, we do have some incredible industry assets. And I think that there's also some interesting work happening from people who want to see um, more going on with sync. Uh, so that would be any placement of music in like film or television or commercials mm. um, and, and publishing sort of associated with that. Where I say I differ is that I think there are, are plenty of folks who 
and I and our people I respect who really believe that we need more traditional industry infrastructure here. And so that would be record labels, um, managers, you know, booking agents. I would agree on some of that. We could really use some booking agents. Anyone who wants to be a booking agent, there's a gap <laughs> here in the market. Um, and, and certainly I think like individual sole proprietors, like management, all of that stuff is helpful, is good, is, an, is a positive add to the ecosystem because it's going to help our artists grow their career you know, get out uh, into the world more, get outside of the city, though they're going to stay here, but it helped them get outside the city. But I, I sort of disagree that we need like major labels or major companies to come in. I think that part of what's always made Memphis so special again is is our, our uh, ingenuity and our willingness to do it ourselves. And I think it comes through in, in every piece of art that's created from the city. And I also don't think it's holding us back that those, uh, you know, major organizations aren't here. Um, it takes a little more work sometimes to, you know, make the things happen. But I would hate to see, I would hate to see something, you know, change, ultimately change the character of our city. What I would rather see is more investment in the stuff we've got now. So rather than saying, let's, you know, we should go attract a major label to move here, I'd like to say, let's, whatever, however many dollars that was going to be, <laughs> let's invest those in promoting our studios yeah. and bringing people here to record, you know, and just double down on these amazing assets that we do have. I completely agree with that because a question I have for you and something that I'm not super aware of, and you're the perfect person to be here to ask, is musicians I feel need a tight-knit community like of supporters yes but also with like-minded artists so what resources exist is it kind of just like they naturally gravitate to each other like how do how do we help to do that and how do they find that that's a great question I mean not to just keep coming back to this but yeah. certainly studios are one place where they find each other Perfect. right if you're yeah. you're naturally in community with other musicians and artists when you're there there may be somebody who has a session before you or even a, a, a session player who's come in to work on your project that you didn't know. I mean, that that's definitely fertile ground. And then I think, honestly, that's where our venues come in too, right? Mm -hmm. So having a, a fertile um, independent venue scene uh, where artists are obviously going and they're, you know, they're performing, but they're also going to other folks' shows. Like that is a, a space where people are really connecting as well. And, and the venues are... Venues are a critical part of the ecosystem for a lot of reasons, for discovery, um, for fans as well, and audiences and audience development. But I, I do think that that's a space where musicians are, are connecting with each other, for sure. Yeah, I think that's great because wh when I think about it, I'm like, okay, Young Professional Societies, check. Nowhere to go for that. I'm a visual artist. Nowhere to go for that. And I was like, where can musicians come together? Like, there's no one place that I know of maybe there is and I just don't know but I was like I, if, if it doesn't exist someone needs to get to step in well and I mean I do think you know too you have organizations in the city like we have uh we're lucky to have Memphis Slim House here right yes. and and Memphis Slim House is a lot of things it's uh it's an, a fantastic like rehearsal and studio space for artists it's a meeting space but they do programming yeah. and present seminars and different stuff and so that would be a way to get connected to the community if you're plugged in I will say too, like the the one thing that never ceases to amaze me is artists who um, 
every time I have a guest on my show on WYXR, I actually uh, ask them to pick like four or five songs from other Memphis artists to play. And frequently enough, they may not even have met some of those artists. It's just somebody that they discovered they really admire. They're discovering music the same way we do. Yeah. And, you know, if they if they really like somebody and admire what they're doing, you know, eventually they may reach out and try to collaborate or work together. So, I mean, I think there's a lot that lives digitally as well. Mm-hmm. So it's been a hot minute since I have gotten to see a local band, mm. <laughs> um, which isn't my fault. Um, I'm... I, I am very excited to say that I'm going to get to see some local music coming up next month in October. Tell us a little bit about, so again, we're going to remind folks, Music Export Memphis is a nonprofit. Yes. Um, We hope that you're going to tell us more about how people can support, but I know of one very specific way, which is buying tickets and joining for the Tambourine Bash. Tell us about it. Yes. The Tambourine Bash is on October 14th. It's at the Levitch Hill, which we're super excited about. Um... We're excited because it means we're going to be able to have a much bigger audience than we've had for this event in the past, but also because we feel like it's going to be a really safe event that we can move forward with, and that, in these times, is a is a very good feeling. Um, so this event is built around collaboration. Um, this is really you know, our big marquee event that we do here in the city each year because most of our work is about helping musicians get out on the road, right? And so we really look at this as our opportunity to help raise the creative ceiling in our community. We pair artists together um, in some of the combinations will be sort of unexpected. Some of them, you maybe have seen those artists before, but not, you know, in this way. It's just, it's, I think, seven or eight different sets of music with three or more artists paired together, writing new music, arranging each other's music. And then there's going to be a super jam finale at the end that's being music directed by Boo Mitchell. I'm not going to reveal the songs. It's going to be amazing. Um, You definitely don't want to miss it. But yeah, so because we're at the Shell, the uh, ticket prices is as accessible as it's ever been. It's just 25 bucks. um, And all of that money that we raise is going to support specifically all of our ambassador program work. So from our tour grants, the merch fund, our industry scholarships, it all will kind of fuel that really for the next year. It's exciting. I'm 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 legitimately pumped to do it. Anything um, with tambourine in the title signed me up, honestly. <laughs> Christy went to college for the tambourine. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Graphic design minored in tambourine. There you go. <laughs> Uh, well, for anybody else that is interested in supporting, I mean, again, whether maybe maybe you're out of town on October 14th, which you should re- reshape your plans. But right, you should. Rethink if you everything. are interested in learning more about <laughs> Music Export Memphis, I will be able to say it by the end of the, the show. Um, if you're interested in learning more, you want to volunteer, you want to give, where can they go to find out? Yeah, so you can find us on every social platform. I say that, except TikTok. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 30, I'm 36. There's, this is where we are. But uh, at, we are Music Export M-E-M on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, and then go to musicexportmemphis.org and you'll be able to access ticket info for the show. Um, you can, that like I said, tickets start at 25 bucks. You can upgrade and get a t-shirt as well. We're, intro- we're unveiling some new t-shirts at Tambourine Bash. So um, yeah, musicexportmemphis.org. That's the place to make a donation if you'd like to do that or buy tickets to come and join us at the Tambourine Bash on October 14th at the Shell. Awesome. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. It's great to hear about your work. We're excited about it. I hope that the next year brings great things. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. All right, guys, that was a great episode with Elizabeth K. Wan. I am feeling very jazzy, and I am so disappointed in myself, AME, because I did not ask her, one, what song should I listen to right now, and two, where I can access some playlists. So, 
I'm gonna have to follow up and see because I feel like she just has a banging Spotify playlist just running. I was gonna say I bet like I, she was talking about the musicians that she's discovered yes. in the last year, and I should have been like name four. Yeah, like because I, I feel like it's so easy to get lazy with discovering new music. I don't know. It, I feel like it's like making new friends. Ah. Like somehow it becomes it's like really easy when you're you young. go where you know. Yeah, yeah, like I was like collecting bands when I you know in my teens and twenties mm-hmm. and just like oh yeah I'm into this and now like I'm like when was the last time. I, like, discovered a new band. I'm just, like, sitting around waiting for new albums to come out from bands that I liked, like, 15 years ago. So I'm excited to have some – I think it's just pure laziness. um, But Well, some of it is just also, like, those bands give you the feels and you know where to go. Yeah. So you're like, if I want to be sad, I'm going to listen to this band. If I want to be happy, I'm going to go here. And I'm, like – I'm trying to think right now as you were talking, who's the last person I got to see live? It was Elton John. At the FedEx Forum. Like, best show. His I was farewell, say, goodbye, good. Yellow Brick Road tour. But I'm like, how sad it was that long ago that I've seen, like, an actual band perform. Well, when I think about Memphis music, I'm like, oh, yeah, John Paul Keith. And I'm like, yeah, I was, like, 22. And I was like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. anyway, he's still amazing, just for the record. But all right. Well, um, thank you guys for joining us this week. We were excited to have Elizabeth in the studio. I'm, if you enjoyed listening to her TED Talk, um, I'm here to tell you, if you like live music, you might also like live TED Talks. Um, yeah. Our 2021 TEDx Memphis conference is coming to you live from Memphis's backyard, the Levitt Shell, on October 30th. Um, so we're just like um, the Music Export Memphis event. We are going to be safely outside at the Levitt Shell. We're excited to be able to host this year and not have the anxiety of being indoors. Um, this year's event will be hosted by the incomparable Ekendayo Bandelay of Hadaloo Theater. Um, he is a past TED speaker and a phenomenal human being. So he's going to... Uh, man the ship and guide us through the day. We have some phenomenal speakers. Um, I'm just so excited about the lineup that our team has put together. It includes artists like S.O. Tolson, um, community leaders and organizers like Brittany Thornton and Amber Hamilton, Grammy-nominated Justin Merrick, uh, Emmy-winning journalist Michelle McKissick, and so many more. Um, I'm truly, we every year I say this, and every year it is absolutely true, we have the most incredible people mm-hmm. from our city who've really put in the hard work to put together an incredible TED Talk. So um, I'm excited. If you would like to join us live to see those TED Talks, you can visit TEDxMemphis.org. You can see the full lineup. Um, We're going to be dividing the day into two sessions. So you can either come for that first session starting around noon to that second session starting around three, uh, or you can come for the full afternoon, which is going to be, again, every TED Talk we've got this year. You can get your tickets there at TEDxMemphis.com. Again, learn more. I just want to throw out a huge thank you to our community partners and sponsors. Um, Cushman and Wakefield Commercial Advisors, you guys are amazing. Nexair, the Hyde Family Foundation, Baker Donaldson, uh, Baker Donaldson, excuse me, (laughs) Memphis University Schools, the Daily Memphian, all of those folks have made this event possible. Please go get your tickets. We'd love to see you there October 30th at the Levitt Show. Christy, if people are finding uh, they want other ways to support New Memphis or this podcast, what can they do? I am so glad that people are asking. Every day I get hundreds of emails. What what can we do? What you can do is follow along with us on all four major social platforms at the New Memphis and also visit newmemphis.org. Guys, we have so much going on in our city and we are helping bring it to you and also developing programming ourselves. So follow us along there, check out our website and you can learn more about all the great things we're doing in our community along with our leadership development programs. Um, We are a nonprofit as well. So you can also find that lovely, lovely donate button on our website and honestly on our social channels as well. So donate wherever Um, because 
no gift is too big, no gift is too small. We really can use it all to help continue and bring this work to you. So with that, I'm ready to say goodbye for today. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we will talk next week. Yeah, bye, guys. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.